Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. The following podcast comes from a live stream I did recently. Many of you have requested that I make my live streams available as audio so you can listen to them on the go. So I am now republishing some of my most popular live streams as podcasts to make that possible. I share a boatload of valuable tips, tools, methods, and processes on my live streams, and I want to make sure that you don't miss a thing. Now, you may hear me make references to slide visuals, which you obviously can't see on a podcast, or to live stream viewers' comments and questions, but that just comes with the territory and generally won't detract from the value of the content, I assure you. And as always, if you like this episode, please take a moment to provide a star rating or review on your favorite podcast listening platform, or better yet, share the episode on social or with a friend or a colleague. And with that, let's jump into the episode. So what is a creative voice? Finding your own creative voice as a designer, as a photographer, as a musician, as a writer is one of those things that we yearn for. And it's a bit of a journey, right? It takes some time. And one of the things I kind of wanted to talk about in it is that people talk about wanting to be original. And when I get my trend presentation every year, people say, I've seen it before. It's not original. And when it comes down to it, there's a difference between when it comes to creative voice, a difference between being completely original and being authentic. Very little under the sun is absolutely original. Come on, let's be totally honest with each other. So it really comes down to like, what is your inspiration? What makes you, you? And I wanted to talk just very quickly a little bit about kind of struggles and triumphs, right? So I'm very much of a multi-creative, and I think a lot of people who are creatives are multi-creatives. So I'm a musician. I've played guitar and bass my whole life. I've written thousands of songs. I do a lot of multi-track recording, or I did up until a few years ago. I actually started as an actor. I acted all the way through junior high and high school. My brother and sister are both SAG, went equity actors. So I come from kind of an acting family, but I wasn't as good as they were. And I had artistic capabilities and I was a good artist. And I ended up going to art school. I got my master's degree in painting in order to teach painting. But at the time, there were like zero teaching jobs. So I kind of petered out on that career opportunity and had to pivot. And I did get a teaching job in the south of France. And when I was there, I created all these monotypes. You might be familiar with the printing technique of monotypes. And I created all these monotypes. And when I was done with that teaching assignment, I came back to New York City and I started a t-shirt company. And I put my monotypes on t-shirts and started selling them to boutiques around New York City and in street fairs and stuff like that. And so I made this pivot from doing fine art to doing creative on product for sale. And that was a very pivotal point in my development. And wanting to be a teacher and being frustrated and not being able to find a job as a teacher, when I started to go into t-shirt design and work for t-shirt and apparel companies, I very quickly realized that I had what it took to be a creative manager. And so I was able to take my teaching passion and turn it into creative management in a career. And I also found my voice in doing apparel design and going from fine art to product to commercial art. And I was super passionate because I loved the fact that when I did designs and put them on apparel, 
I would see people walking down the street in New York City with my art on their chest. And it was like they were walking billboards for what I considered to be my creativity. And so that was my kind of pivot point. That was my entree into finding my voice. And my voice very much became t-shirt art. I became a t-shirt designer for Old Navy, $700 million a year business, saw my t-shirts on people's chests all over the world. It was super exciting. And that was what was fueling my fire. And so we all go through very kind of interesting, key, pivotal moments in our creative development. I'm sure you guys have too. And so let's talk about how you define a creative voice. So a creative voice basically is it's how you are recognized by others. It's your personal creative aesthetic, essentially, that you adopt. It could be your written style, it could be your personal style, it could be your design style, your brand aesthetic, it could be your tone of voice. It is basically the tone of your collective body of work. It's your unique perspective. It's, your, it's the value and the skill that you bring to your work over time. It's the true meaning of your work as it's forged over time. And the overtime piece is a very important part. And I'm going to kind of get a little deeper into that as we talk through this today. And I found this really great quote on Behance by a guy named Todd Henry. It said, your creative voice is the confluence, that Venn diagram of inspiration, dedicated practice, and strategic risk. And I think that's a really great synopsis of what a creative voice is and some of the components that go into making it. And we're going to touch on those and also a number of other points as we kind of get deeper into this. One of the creatives, one of the designers who made it okay for me to be a graphic designer was a guy named David Carson. And David Carson, he's kind of known as the father of grunge typography, essentially. He was a surfer. He had a degree in sociology, right? So he was not trained as a graphic designer at all. He worked at Skateboarder Magazine. He came from a very kind of irreverent punk kind of upbringing, essentially. And then he started to get deeper into graphic design and typography. And he started a magazine called Raygun Magazine, which is a pivotal kind of late 70s, early 80s magazine where he broke all of the rules of graphic design. He was like a nihilist when it came to graphic design. He was a Jackson Pollock of typography. He destroyed the rules of type and stripe, Bauhaus prettiness and cleanliness. And I really respected that because I was a painter and I didn't believe in the rules of graphic design either. I came to design as a painter, not as a schooled kind of Bauhaus sort of person. And so he was someone who really, really inspired me and he made it okay for me to become, move into the graphic design profession, which as a painter, I had always bristled at. I'd always wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. And because I thought it was selling out, I thought it was way too commercial. And David Carson, for me, in terms of inspiration for me and helping me find my creative voice and helping me find my pathway into a career and into design was really, really pivotal and important for me. David Carson is a legend. He's totally, totally amazing. Still is. And he's very active on LinkedIn, by the way. And he's super humble. He posts on LinkedIn fairly frequently. And if you engage with him on the comments, he'll just like come right back at you. He's awesome. So 
in discovering your voice in the beginning, us as creatives, when we were young, we were in grade school, right? We first start drawing and doing stuff. What we develop very early is taste, taste and love of aesthetics and maybe a little talent. Maybe we have a little talent and people go, oh, you're so creative and you're special and we feel special because we're creative. And that is what is that underpinning of support. If we are lucky enough, many of us are not lucky enough to get support of family or educators or any kind of early, early mentors in our lives, teachers. But those of us who do, it's that fuel that initially starts our exploration, our search, right? Our search and inside of ourselves, our search for our skill set, how we're going to express ourselves physically, now digitally. So it all starts with exploration. It starts with a search. What are you inspired by? Who are you inspired by? Like David Carson, for me, who are your idols? You want to follow your curiosity. You really want to really, really be open at the beginning. And as I go through this, some of it is you may think I'm talking about like the beginning of your career, right when you're starting off. But here's the thing. People's Creatives' aesthetics shift all the time throughout your career. You will shift your interest and your curiosity and your aesthetic and your point of view and maybe your look and feel many, many times in your career, which is why one of the reasons why I'm talking about this to you guys, because I know that a lot of you, you are accomplished and seasoned professionals in this, but we're always nurturing, we're always exploring, we're always following that curiosity in terms of how we how we find our sense of expression, our sense of self within the creative that we do. And as you're curious, you want to collect it. It used to be it was buying art books, right? Or art zines, or it was going to shows and taking pictures, you know? And now it can be done online. It can be done on Pinterest. It can be done anywhere you go on the web, the AIGA, Communication Arts, 10 zillion beautiful design websites that there are out there to gather inspiration. And you want to gather it and absorb it. And then you kind of, what you do is you kind of look to find yourself in what it is that you're inspired by. And I have a couple of examples. Saul Bass, an amazing, amazing designer. Again, his designs were very kind of collage-like and almost like cut paper and super graphic and very powerful and very illustrational. So it was, again, he was another influence of mine that I was able to find my way in a comfort zone for a painter coming into design in a way that made me feel like welcome and also made me feel like super inspired. Like I wanted to do that stuff. I wanted to be that guy. (laughs) And that's what you got to kind of look for. You got to put your spidey sense up and your antenna up and kind of look to feel, what am I feeling? Who am I inspired by? And so Saul Bass was one of those people for me. And so you kind of want to look around, look through the design greats, look through people on Behance. It could be someone who's your age or younger than you, who's really lighting your fire and is inspiring you. Bauhaus is, I was kind of making fun of Bauhaus a little earlier. I used to call Bauhaus like type and stripe, the family of type and stripe. It's like really simple, really sparse, based in real primary colors much of the time. Think Mondrian but an incredibly influential, pivotal moment in design history. Some people, they find themselves, they find their influence, they find their zeitgeist, 
within Bauhaus. You may find your zeitgeist in someone like Massimo Vignelli, who's an, another incredible designer. He's done the Olympic logo. He designed the American Airlines logo. Super, super talented and not as kind of austere as Bauhaus, not as punk as David Carson, but it's kind of somewhere in the middle of taste and expression. Another great thing that I look to a lot is Russian constructivism. And Russian constructivism is one of those movements in design which has echoed for over 100 years, 120 years. You can see Russian constructivism in almost everywhere now. And if you watch my graphic design trend videos every year, you'll notice that there's always something in there, one trend that kind of harkens back to it. That's because it never goes away. And people are always doing a twist on it. People are always kind of like finding a different voice within this. They're being inspired by it. So the reason why I'm putting these up here is that like, as you look around, you look for who you're inspired by, who speaks to you, who gives you energy, whose work you want, like, want to capture and put in a folder. And as you gather those, that's what you're doing. And you're starting to, you're starting to discover fodder, the fuel that is going to fuel the creation of your voice. And then we move into a phase that I call emulation, then divergence. And it's, it's a process. And I have a really great example of this. And it's a fine art example. Fine artists, my being one, when I started off, we, in the old days, you used to learn painting, drawing, whatever, from copying the masters. So you would go to a museum, you'd set up your easel, and you would actually physically like copy a master's painting. And that's how you learned. And then as you got proficient in that, later in time, in the early 1900s, people started to take those classical skills and diverge from it. And a perfect example of that is Pablo Picasso. His first massive retrospective was in Chicago, and I got to travel up there from Kansas City by bus. And we saw this Picasso show, which was gigantic, and it had everything in his like, collection from birth to death. I mean, it was like this massive kind of historical survey. And in that show, I realized why Picasso was doing what he was doing into his 20s, 30s when he developed Cubism. He was a very, very accomplished classical painter at 14 years old. Like these three paintings are just a sampling of some of the stuff that Picasso actually painted when he was 14. And so when I learned that, it was totally obvious that by 14, he had tapped out. He'd reached a level of accomplishment where it was like, what else am I going to do? And so he started to break it down. <laughs> he started to deconstruct it. He started to diverge from what he was emulating. And in a lot of cases, when we're developing our creative voice, that's the process, right? We start by emulating. We start by copying. We start by being inspired by and gravitating very closely to those that we're inspired by. And then and then we start to diverge, right? And it's that divergent moment where we're taking what we know, what we love, we're curious about, and we're putting a twist on it and we're changing it and we're translating it into something else that is more ours. And the process is much more plodding than it is romantic. <laughs> you get sick of it and then you break out. 
you break your own mold, essentially. You take what works and then you toss what doesn't. And it's a process of emulation, experimentation, and then reflection on that, and then divergence and movement away. And so there are a lot of challenges in being authentic. And you'll notice that I did not say challenges of being original, because being original is almost impossible. Like I said, when I publish my trend videos, at the beginning of the video, I always say, nothing is absolutely brand new because people always freak out in the comments, thousands of comments and people saying, I've seen this before. This has been done before. It's like, yeah, it's been done before. Everything's been done before. And it's being translated over time into something else and uniquely somewhat different or nuanced. And so the challenge of being, I say authentic more than original because authentic is what is you, what is true to you, right? What is authentically you, your experience your conglomeration of all these influences. But there are challenges in even just being authentic. And there's self-doubt, there's indecision. All of those things are totally natural. I was just watching this movie again, which I really love. It's a movie, Tom Cruise movie called The Edge of Tomorrow. It's a kind of futuristic sort of movie, but Bill Paxton is in it and he plays this drill sergeant, essentially. He has this quote where he says, it's all right to be scared. Remember, there is no courage without fear. And that is so true that it is completely natural to be fearful, but you have to kind of face that and have courage and try because authenticity takes courage. There's all sorts of pressures that we have. We have peer pressure to conform. We have societal pressure to conform. There are trends in the world that we want to buck that we don't want to do. and We have fear of being judged. We have fear of rejection. And let's just talk about the fear of rejection a little bit and what it takes to kind of power through rejection. And I have a few examples of this, right? J.K. Rowling, who wrote all the Harry Potter books, she was rejected by 12 different publishers before she got her first book deal. Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld's richer than God, right? Now, because of the Seinfeld show. But Jerry Seinfeld was actually fired from the sitcom Benson for not being so great. And Walt Disney, another one, right? He was fired from a job at the Kansas City Star, and his boss said Disney lacked imagination and had no good ideas. (laughs) And that just cracks me up because it's just like Walt Disney having no good ideas. Anyway, These are people who like powered through major, major rejections in their lives and they became iconic. And that is what is possible for any and all of us. And part of the solution of some of this is having a really good peer network, a really good support network, a community where you, people are understanding this process you're going through and understanding where you are. And there are other creatives who've been through it or are going through it. And I'm going to talk about this community I'm launching called Bonfire just a little bit later, which is a mastermind membership. And that's the sort of community where you find that sort of camaraderie, those sort of colleagues who are going to be able to help you find your authenticity and power through the rejection, the peer pressure, the fear, all that stuff that goes along with it. And so after you find your creative voice, then you start to cultivate it. You start to nurture it. You start to refine it. And one of the things that you do is you have to develop habits 
and practices. This is where it gets real. This is where like the rubber hits the road and you got to like roll up your sleeves and like go to work. You have to develop regular creative exercises. Just like people who practice yoga, you got to do it every day. Or people who are becoming distance runners, you got to do it every day. You have to do things repetitively. You have to like crank out the volume because volume is what cultivates and hones your creative voice. And here's a quote you can quote me on, which is, you don't imagine your way to a personal style. You work your way to one. You don't just think up one and go, I'm going to be like this. You find it through volume. You find it through work. You find it through the dogged pursuit of creating a whole ton of stuff. That's where the ideas gel. And that's where the true authenticity of your point of view, your aesthetic, all that sort of stuff comes into being, right? That's where it's birthed. And I have some really killer examples of this. In terms of the dogged work part of it, in terms of the work part of it, this is one of my favorite examples. There's two guys in the music industry who do this or have done it. Elvis Costello, who the youngsters in the audience may not even know who he is, but Elvis Costello is like a god in rock and roll, right? Especially in the early, late 70s, early 80s. And Elvis Costello approached most musicians are like, oh, you know, have some drinks and like every weekend we'll like write some songs and like have a smoke and it's much more of like the rock and roll lifestyle, right? Elvis Costello treated his career in music like a job. Like he dressed in a suit, he rented an office, and he went to that office and wrote music from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. every single day, five days a week, and sometimes more. He treated it like a serious job. He like went in for years and banged out tons of music. He hit it with volume and he eventually developed a very unique, very unusual voice. Beck, actually, who the youngsters in the audience may actually know who he is, did the same thing, right? He rented a studio. He goes into that studio nine or 10 hours every day and he focuses just on writing his music. And you can tell because his music is like really intricate. And if there is an artist, I think, you know, in the rock and roll genre, who's really, he's like the David Carson, I think, of music is like he broke all the rules and still breaks all the rules. And so these guys who in an industry that is known for no rules, they approached it in a very dogmatic, process-driven, disciplined sort of way. And that's really what you have to do as a creative. And again, Masterminds can help you do this by helping you with having colleagues and a supportive community who can cultivate that attitude in you, that workmanlike attitude of producing a bunch of stuff and being diligent about it and helping you find and maintain that motivation, that motivation to work because you are surrounded with action takers. And when you surround yourself with action takers, you have to take action. And it's not a peer pressure thing. It's a mirroring thing. Like you start to mirror the behaviors of the people that you hang out with. And so in a mastermind, that's very much it. When you're surrounded by action takers, you, you start to do the same thing. So a couple other examples of this, and I think these are really great examples of people who pounded it out and found their voice. There's a guy who's a fine artist who is kind of, he has a very postmodern sort of style. And he is a guy named Rex Ray. 
And Rex Ray is, he lives in San Francisco. He's passed away now. Incredibly talented artist who actually developed a style of kind of, he created painted patterned paper and then he cut it out into shapes and he would collage it and he would create these beautiful kind of postmodern kind of looking abstracts. And you definitely look him up, go to rexraystudio.com. I was super influenced by him, but one of the things that I read about in his very early development was that he gave himself a challenge of doing a hundred little collages. So every night he did at least one, like it was like an eight by 10 collage. And there's a collection of all of these hundred collages and you can see his development from the development of his visual language. You can see it development and congeal as he goes through this process of doing a hundred different designs. As he goes through the dogged workman-like volume-driven exploration of his ideas and what he was curious about, he finds his voice. And another person who's like this, and this is a young woman who I interviewed on the Brand Design Masters podcast episode, I don't know, it's in the 70s, I think, Janine Henricks, who decided to do a poster a day for 365 days. And she was a very, very junior designer. She had only just started design for about a year, I think, or two. And she went on Pinterest. This is how she described it. She went on Pinterest. She would find some designer and some poster or some sort of aesthetic that she was really kind of curious about or thought was very cool. And then she would take that aesthetic and she would translate it and do her own thing. And, th- and she did that every day and created a poster a day for 365 days. And again, it's that kind of commitment and dogged pursuit. And she developed over time this huge vocabulary of design techniques that she translated and took a twist on and made her own. And if you go to Janine Designs on Instagram you can and scroll way down through her feed, you can see some of them. And there's another guy named Benedicto Cernal, who I've actually featured some of his posters in my graphic designs trends video. I had one this year, in fact. And Benedicto has been doing a poster a day for three years. So he's got probably over a thousand of these posters now. I actually DM'd him today and said, can you confirm how many of these you've done? But he didn't get back to me in time. But I know that he's done at least three years. And so he has a very, he's developed over time a very clear style. He does these very kind of super techno, kind of very futuristic posters, and he keeps them in a very tight color palette, this kind of turquoise, black, blues palette. So the color palette limitations that he's given himself has, gives the whole family of his work a consistency. But if you look past the color palette and the similarity of that, and you get into like looking at the designs themselves, his exploration of what he does is like absolutely exceptional. If you look at like the history of it, it blows me away. Number one, the guy's detail and imagination and originality. And so if you go to Benedicto Cernal and then it's I-I-I, he's the third, I think, but it's the letter I-I-I on Instagram. You can see his stuff. Super talented. And again, he found his voice And he solidified and crystallized that creative voice by a commitment of producing something every day and doing it for a long period of time. And he has found a very, very clear, definable style and also developed like a kick-ass body of work that is like phenomenal. I'm just always amazed by it. So I just wanted to mention him too. 
And then, you know, you got to, this is the big kahuna, right? You have to take that voice. You have to take that voice that you have developed. You may be developing this voice while you're employed. You may be developing this voice while you're working for clients, right? And the goal is to have some personal creativity, but that you can find a way to bring it to life in your career and align it, or at least have it not fight your career aspirations. Now, fine art is personal expression. You hear people say it all the time when they're describing their paintings. It's very personal. But graphic design is public communication. It is art with a job to do. It's supposed to elicit action in people. It's about communication. And so your design aesthetic, when you're a graphic designer anyway, professional one, it has to take a back seat to your client's business needs. You could be a photographer, an illustrator, a copywriter. You can't just do your own thing and force it down the throat of your client or your client's category of business and expect them to accept it. But there is also a way to kind of hopefully inject some of that creative voice into the work that you're doing in your career. And maybe even trying to find a design discipline that really aligns with your aesthetic. If you're an illustrator, for me, I was a fine artist and I found my voice and my pathway into a professional career through t-shirt design. If you're a very theatrical personality, you might find event design or theater design, something involved in entertainment to be up your alley. If you're a super technical person, you might find UX UI to like fit you like a glove. Or if you're super logical, maybe you like wayfinding design, signage design, or kind of museum design. If you're a super systematic person, right, you might like doing brand identity because it's so based around systems. If you love characters and storytelling, you know, you might go into game design or motion design. And so finding a way and a pathway for your creative voice to take flight professionally and align so it doesn't feel like it's friction, it doesn't feel like it's a rub, is one of the things that you want to kind of nurture and think about. And an example of this is a guy named Peter Lewis. He has a company called Corkworks. Peter is a photographer who lives in Maine, and he does all sorts of photography, tabletop photography, product photography, lifestyle photography, but he's super inventive. (laughs) And he has a very kind of like super positive, fun personality, which really comes across when you talk to him and also in everything that he does. And the name of his company, Quirkworks, is work when he's given or does personal work or work for clients where he has that freedom of expression. He does really exceptional, very unusual photography with a sense of humor and a sense of experimentation that is, I think, super exemplary. And when he does stuff that's self-promotional, it's always like wacky. And what I love about that is that he's very consistent about that. And so he's developed this level of voice creative voice that shines through all his work, even when it's just, I think, client work. So Total props to Peter Lewis, and he's was a Brand Design Masters Guild member and is going to be involved in Bonfire, which is my mastermind membership that's going to be launched. And so definitely check out Peter's work. But he is a person who has found a way to incorporate his personal creative voice 
into the work that he does in photography in a very symbiotic way where it doesn't create a lot of friction. It gives him a lot of room for creative expression and feeling like he's bringing his voice to his profession, which is why I chose him as an example. And so in order to make all of this happen, you have to get perspective. You have to get perspective and support. And where do you find that? A lot of times you can find that in a mastermind group or mastermind community, mastermind membership. In those sorts of groups, you get inspiration, perspective, you get mentorship and support and guidance and being able to mirror what other people are doing. You get motivation because you're seeing people who are action takers actually move on stuff. You may be learning absolutely super brand new things. And so that's why I am super passionate about mastermind groups. When I started off on my own after 30, I had 30 year career in global corporations and agencies. I knew some stuff, right? I'd done some stuff. I worked some big clients. But when I went out on my own and started building my personal brand, I didn't know anything about building a personal brand. And so I joined a mastermind membership group and it was transformative to me because suddenly I was surrounded by people who were building personal brands and businesses based on their personal brands. And I was learning about content development, email marketing, developing courses, doing coaching, working with clients, developing newsletters, building email lists, doing YouTube channels, starting podcasts. It was like all this stuff that I had no experience in. I had done none of that in my big corporate agency world. And suddenly I had to do it at scale for myself. I went from zero to 60 in about a year and a half. And I did that by the community that I found in this particular mastermind group. And so that's why I'm super passionate about it is because I found my personal brand creative voice in that setting. And and I'm reminded of this thing that happened to me. When I used to interview designers, I ran the graphic apparel design group in Old Navy for about 11 years. So I was responsible for all the graphics on all the products. And so I was hiring designers all the time to be t-shirt designers or CAD textile designers, but in particular t-shirt designers. And when I was looking for t-shirt designers, I always told my HR and my executive recruiters to look for illustrators. Don't look for graphic designers because illustrators have these aesthetics that I want to translate into apparel. And so they would find me illustrators and the illustrators would come in and interview with me and they'd bring their portfolios on. They were hard. They were actual portfolios back then, but then also later on iPad. And I would interview them. I would tell them about the role. I would tell them about what they were going to be doing. And a lot of the time they would be like, I had no idea this existed. Like I've been struggling as a freelance illustrator, trying to get like editorial jobs. And here is this opportunity where I can make like 85 grand a year, not nothing to sneeze at being a graphic designer, doing my kind of aesthetic and putting it on t-shirts and having them sell hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, which are going to support my salary here. It blew them away and they had no idea it existed that as a role, as a job within the fashion industry. And that's the kind of thing that happens in masterminds. That's why I bring this up is because you build super close relationships. And these are not acquaintances, right? These are not people you say hello to at a conference. And it's like, nice to know you, you get your business card and then you leave it in your hotel garbage. It's like, they're not connections. They're not followers. They are true colleagues 
that you develop deep relationships with. And that's the difference. And that's the support system that you find the perspective and you find the support that you need in order to find and build your creative voice. And so I ran a series of mastermind groups a couple of years ago called the Brand Design Masters Guild. And they were small. They were just limited to nine people and me, and they ran for 12 weeks. And these are just some of the groups that were in them. And Peter Lewis from Corkworks was actually in one of these. And they were super successful. And when I interviewed people after the 12 weeks were over, one of the things that they always said was, I wish this didn't have to end. I wish this was an ending. So I decided right then and there, I was going to start a mastermind membership that didn't have to end. And so that's why I'm starting a group called Bonfire. It's a mastermind community for creative pros, established creative pros. It's not for people who are just beginners. I'm not going to teach you how to do design. It is for established creative pros five years onward in their careers. And it's going to be an amazing community. And it's on the Circle platform. And it's going to have live group coaching from me. It's going to have two times a month Zoom calls where we gather as a mastermind group. There's going to be private community, as I said, on Circle. You're going to be set up with accountability partners. And that's another part of the Guild experience that people really loved was the one-on-one kind of accountability partner piece where they got to know and really develop relationships with people very closely. There's something that I've developed called the Fire Milestones, which is a milestone development map that helps you kind of find where you are in your personal brand and your business development and gives you a roadmap to the next steps that you need to take to grow to the level that you need to grow at. I'm also going to bring in some kind of experts, speakers. Periodically, there is a deep resource library with a lot of toolkits and checklists and worksheets and templates and video playlists that are within the platform that are available to you as soon as you pop into it. And then I'm also going to give you access to the Brand Strategy 101. The monthly membership is going to be very discounted access to it. And the higher level guild level bonfire guild level is going to have free access to it. And then support of your growth and learning of brand strategy going forward. And so the fire milestones are kind of set up in kind of four different stages of foundations. And then ignition and reach are where you really build your processes and your infrastructure and your marketing engine and really activate that. And expertise is then when you start to really, really kind of get out there as your personal brand in a kind of an elevated way. And there's a welcome section where there's going to have guidelines and you'll have a little tour and you'll get a clear idea of how the whole group kind of holds together and where to go and what to do. And so if you go to philipvandusen.com slash bonfire, you can learn more about it. The doors aren't open yet. But if you click through to one of the buttons, you can sign up to be alerted when we go live. And that way you'll be at the top of my radar in terms of people I want to talk to when we actually go live in a month and a half or so. And so it's coming up. It's going to happen. And I'm super, super excited about it. And the thing is, is that it can help you if you're struggling with finding that creative voice or you're, like I said, mid-career and you're at a pivot point or you're moving into something different maybe from full-time work to being a freelancer or from a freelancer to full-time work, who knows? If you're at a pivot point where you feel like you have to kind of redefine or rediscover or re-explore what your creative voice is, this is a perfect, perfect way to do that. 
So just a quick little review of today. So we talked through discovering your voice. So how you go about finding what lights your fire, where you are curious, emulation and divergence. So kind of that copying moment. And then as you break away from it, some of the challenges of being authentic, how you cultivate and deepen that creating and hone that, that creative voices for you. And then how you align your career with that voice so they don't create this deep rub. And then mentorship and community, as I talked about Bonfire, and what that can be for you. You need to align your creative voice with your positioning. At the beginning of your career, you aren't going to have a creative voice. It's not going to have manifested or congealed or solidified yet. And so you just want to make your clients happy and do the best work for them and for their industry. But as you start to do more and more work and maybe do a lot of work on the side on your own to find and deepen that understanding and that voice, as you develop your own brand positioning, your positioning for your agency, your freelance, your personal brand, you want to incorporate that creative voice, that vision into your positioning as much as you possibly can. And that's where the career and the creative voice have to align with each other. And I really, really, really encourage you to go to philipvandusen.com slash bonfire and read about what this community is. A mastermind membership for established creative pros, and it's going to move you forward faster surround you with people who are motivated action takers and give you the support and the perspective and the feedback and the confidence that you need to move forward. One of the things that I see is that our clients invest anywhere from 15 to 20, sometimes 25% of their annual revenue in advertising and marketing their business. They invest money to make money. One of the things that I see in creative professionals is they'll invest money in like a SaaS product, Adobe Illustrator subscription, something like that, a tool that they need to actually do the job. But I don't see people investing as much, not certainly not 15 to 20% of their annual revenue in the development and the growth of their business. They're not reinvesting in order to make more money. And that's one of those things that getting involved in a mastermind membership will do. Yes, it costs money. Yes, it's a subscription. But here's the thing, and this is a very important point, and I want you guys to stop multitasking for a second and listen to this point. When people are in that group, they are investing to be in that group. And when people invest to be in a group, they take it seriously and they show up and they do the work and they move things forward. It's proven. That investment creates intensity. And so that's one of the reasons why these things work. So from what I shared with you in this live stream, you can tell that I'm super passionate about the power of mastermind communities. And that's because participating in masterminds helped me break through to a whole new level of professional accomplishment at a really critical, pivotal time in my career. And masterminds also helped me build deep, meaningful network relationships and gave me the motivation and the accountability to build the personal brand and the business that I have today. So I really want to share that power with you too. So if you're interested in finding out more about it, just go to philipvandusen.com slash bonfire and sign up to get alerted for when we go live. Again, it's philipvandusen.com slash bonfire, B-O-N-F-I-R-E. 
and I hope to see you beside the bonfire. If you'd like to help support the Brand Design Masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products, courses, and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com slash muse and sign up for the Brand Muse newsletter. That's where we share all the latest news, resources, articles, books, and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice, personal brand, and business. That's philipvandusen.com slash muse, M-U-S-E. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.